Welcome back. Welcome back to the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, Editor-in-Chief of Velo News. Joining me, as always, Spencer Paulison, News Director. Hi, Fred. Spencer, how are you feeling after your e-bike adventure at Cross Vegas yesterday? I would have felt a lot better if I hadn't, like, stabbed myself in the back with the saddle trying to carry it over the barriers. This thing's heavy. Wait a second. Wait a second. You have an e-bike injury? I do. Yeah, I got my nice shirt all bloody. (laughs) Got it. Get some stain stain remover when I get home or something. Okay. Well, I guess you just e-bike to the extreme. You e-bike so hard that you injured yourself. Something like that. Oh man. Uh, Kaylee Fretz is also here. Kaylee, how are you? I'm doing very well. How was your Cross Vegas experience? Uh, Average. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't injure yourself carrying an Uh, e-bike around. No blood whatsoever. Did you watch any of the e-bike racing? I missed it. No. I'm really sad. However, I we, think we, we got it to, on film, though. Yeah, there's yeah. a video. There's a video our, coming. Our faithful tech editor, Dan Cavallari, was there to document the entire thing. Okay. Should be a hard-hitting documentary project about e-bikes, racing e-bikes, cyclocross, and uh, what not to do. What which I, is pretty much is a cautionary tale is what it is. <laughs> what I thought was very interesting is the winner of the men's race, Lawrence Week, was so just ravaging, killing the entire field, that they, they timed him, and they said that his lap was four seconds slower than the fastest e-bike lap. So, like, some fast dude just crushing it in on an e-bike was four seconds faster than this Belgian guy who's who going real fast. It's the future. That's it's fast. Future, yeah. uh, anyway, because we've got to get to it because we have another full day of amazing guests coming on the Velonews podcast to talk to us about their various cycling projects and to be quizzed by us about very very serious, serious questions, trivia questions. And our first guest of the day, Sabra Davison. Hi. Sabra, you are one of the heads of state of Lil Bella's, which is a wonderful program that gets young girls across the country into cycling, specifically mountain biking. Sabra, when did you launch this program? And let's get some stats. Oh, all right. Yeah, I I run Little Bellas. We launched in 2007. So we are in our uh, 10-year reunion, whatever Uh you want to call it. Um, So, yeah, we're we're doing really well. We've got 12 states up and running with 18 different uh, chapter locations and 800 girls this year. 800 girls. So this is a program... You are doing what? Cycling camps? Like, how do you get young girls on two bicycles? You have a ridiculously good time. Okay. That's where it all starts. Uh, we start there, and then we add a little color powder. So, you know, the color runs. Yep. We do some of that. We have some squirt gun fights and lots of miles on bikes smiling. So, it's uh, it that's where our program begins. It's not about competition. We get girls on bikes with mentors, uh, female mentors, so they can really see what they can become in this sport. Um, earlier this year, our very own Spencer Paulison wrote a story about this, and I was really blown away by the emphasis on fun, like having fun away from the bike before getting on the bike. So like the fact that you all played these various games, like talk to me about some of the games you play because Spencer described them in his story and they sounded really fun. They sounded like kind of like games that I want to integrate to the Vela News editorial staff to maybe, uh, you know, get us to 
get us to like <laughs> boost morale before writing all these stories about cycling. So let's talk about some of these games. Team building. Yeah. Yeah, it's camaraderie. Um, so we have a number of different off-bike games, and uh, you know, some of them incorporate our pros that visit our program. So when Spencer was there, we had two truths and a lie. Saw it firsthand. Seattle <laughs> Classic. It was good. Wow. <laughs> there's been, more. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch. Uh, so my sister Leah Davison, who's a pro, came and uh, had to come up with one lie and hide it amongst two truths and the girls were pretty good detectives well and also leo was so knackered from all week at sea otter and this was sunday right yes and so she's totally knackered done the races and everything and pretty much it took her at least three or four tries to actually do the game correctly she was doing two kept, lies and a truth she kept messing up the game which was hilarious was pretty funny the girls loved it they're merciless yeah <laughs> um, and then you know we have a game called wah 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 oh yeah no 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 that's not the intonation no, no it's do wah it. yeah okay. it's like a kung and so fu master when you show up and you have to make a ridiculous ridiculous noise uh, right right from the get go we think that's a good starting point that's the tone so wait yeah. you, you go and then you have to like mimic an animal or something yes. like that? So on the count of three, everybody does moose, chicken, or snake. And if you get the same uh, animal as the Wah Master, you are out. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I like that. We play the that Wah right Master. Yeah. <laughs> wah. Team building. Um, All of this, though, speaks to the larger point, which is the, you know, the topic of getting girls on bikes. And um, Sabra, what has been the, what's the challenge of getting girls on bikes? You know, over, t- over time, we hear, we hear from the bike industry that, like, oh, cycling is this male-dominated sport, and cycling resonates with young boys but not young girls. And I'm really curious to get your perspective on it. What is the challenge, and how do you overcome that challenge? So, honestly, I mean, if you get girls early enough and get them on a bike early enough, which is happening less and less... Um, You know, I think it became the norm when we were younger to ride bikes, and it's no longer the norm. That's that's not something that every kid has a bike. And and so I think the challenge is getting the word out to people that aren't in the cycling world, so going beyond our our normal sphere. And then... um, also, you know, in addition to that, if you if you start a girl at 11 or 12, that's the point when she's already formed her identity and what she sees um, as the things she's good at and, and the things that she has ascribed to, um, you know, her personal self. And, and so if you can get to her before that happens and she sees cycling and endurance sports and just, you know, these things that get you outside as something that she does and she's good at, then you've knocked down all the barriers that will be set up um, in those teen years. So that is something that we've really found success with and making it all about fun. The girls that want to be competitive, that's great. Go, go do it, you know? Um, So that's our approach. It's been working really well. We have giant wait lists that we're trying to keep up with. So when people say it's hard to get girls on bikes, I, uh, I go, okay, well. <laughs> you know, why do we have a big wait list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the challenge that your program faces right now? Um, so we are trying to grow and grow rapidly and keep up. And, and I, I hate saying no to a girl. And, you know, some of our programs have a long wait list and that is awful. It's, it's just, 
you know, the worst thing. So that I say, I, I would say is our, our biggest challenge is too many girls and too few programs. So, you know, right after Interbike, I head back to Marin and, and try to get more programs going there and then fly to a different place. And yeah, we're moving and shaking. I think another interesting part of this story is the fact that, you know, this was very grassroots. Um, this was you and your and Leah, your sister, and another gal who got this thing going. And at a certain point, you've been able to do it full time. And I'm curious what that has meant to the program to be able to have someone like yourself working on it um, full time. Oh my gosh! If you look at our growth curve, so the first five years, five maybe six years actually, I everyone in the organization was volunteer. And so no one was paid a cent, and it was truly, and still is, a labor of love. And so when you can see when someone was paid, because the amount of time that you can designate to that is it, it just increases instrumentally. And, and so we've been able to bring it to more places and more girls because of that. And it's been such an amazing transition for me. Um, I was actually, I had to decide whether I was going to uh, ski professionally or do Little Bellas. And I couldn't give the dream job that I had created to someone else. I had to, I had to grab it and run with it. I think you made a good choice. Yeah, I, I feel good I about agree. it. Yeah. Well, do we have any other questions for uh, Sabe at this point? I think it's on to the game then. So, in in reading the game, or in reading your story and having you talk about the games, the two truths and a lie one, that one really <laughs> stood out because, I don't know, that's a pretty fun game. I've definitely played that game at various points in my life, especially in college where it was like... <laughs> Yeah, a little explicit uh, <laughs> material. Like the Little Bellas game. Yeah, no, so um, we're gonna different. we're gonna dull it down a little bit, but um, we all have some two truths and a lie to present to you, Sabra, to see excited. if you <laughs> if you can weed out the lie. Okay. Okay, so I'm gonna start off here. Where did I put my two truths and a lie? <laughs> These are questions for Jeff Kabush. <laughs> uh-huh. Is this part of the game? Scavenger yeah. hunt? Scavenger hunt sure. for two truths Fred and a lie. Loses stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is a two truths and a lie about myself, Fred Dreyer. Ooh. I have been known to uh, go on long bike rides and runs fairly unprepared and to have uh, bad things happen to me. So, this is a bonking theme, two truths and a lie. <laughs> All of these start off with one time I was so bonked. <laughs> one time I was so bonked that I dine and dashed at Denny's. One time I was so bonked that I ate ketchup packets to get me home. One time I was so bonked that I stopped and ate strawberries from a strawberry patch, which is the bonked lie. I'm going to go with ketchup packets. No, that's actually a oh, truth. I know. Dine and Dash. Dine and Dash at Dennis. Oh, I was debating. Haven't done that yet. I, I just wasn't bonked. I was just, you know, in another frame of mind when I dined I'm, and Dash I'm glad, though. I would have, that, that would have been a little, yeah. yeah would have yeah. been bad, bad for bad PR if, if, we, if we knew you were a little, Dash If I was a Dine and Dasher, yeah, not yeah, great. No way. No way. Uh, Spencer, do you have a two truths and a lie? I do, yes. I Well, I wrote some down, but then I realized they weren't as fun listening to yours because yours are good. So I'm going to just kind of wing it here. Hopefully, it's, hopefully it will, will be all right. Um, mine are going to be uh, crash themed because I've, I've crashed my bike a lot. So even e-bikes? Uh, nope, I didn't crash the e-bike. Okay, it was uh, important distinction. It was a cross maneuver. Yes, ish. Uh, let's see. Okay, 
One time I crashed and I had to go to this terrible little emergency room in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire with my dad and wait for like five hours to get stitches in my face after a junior mountain bike That race. is very specific. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> that has to be a truth. One time I was racing in a cross-country race in Colorado, mountain bike race again. I think it was Crested Butte. And I crashed and broke my collarbone. And then they had to fly me down to, I think, well, no, they drove me to Gunnison first, and then they took me by helicopter this to Denver, and I needed, I needed to, they, they gave me surgery for that there. Also very specific. <laughs> the third one is I crashed in a crit in downtown Denver. Uh, it was the last lap, and I was pretty much guaranteed to finish on the podium, but I blew my rear tire and crashed and got a huge patch of, patch of road rash right on my ass. Again, very specific. These are very specific two truths and a lie. Tricky, right? Yeah. Tricky. Okay. The second one. You think the collarbone one is the lie? Yes. You're right. (laughs) I've never broken a bone in my body. Knock on wood. Is this like, wait, wait, don't tell me where somebody leaves my voice? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) wait, wait, don't tell me about the horrible thing that happened to me. You win. (laughs) You win Velo News socks. You got some socks. Very exciting. Uh, Kaylee, you have a a Velo News. I have Velo News themed. Two yes. truths and a lie. Yes. So these yep. are all about Velonews. Okay. Yep. One, the old Velonews office is now a marijuana factory. Two, a former Velonews editor is now. <laughs> I can't read your handwriting, friend. <laughs> oh, I, okay, I know what this one is. Uh, a former Velonews editor is now a member of the Wyoming House of Representatives. A former Velonews tech editor is now the head of branded content at Shimano. What was that? A former Velonews tech editor is now the head of branded content at Shimano. Wow. Two Fred. truths, one lie. Two, Two truths, truths, one lie. Okay. So I think it's very plausible that number two is true. That House of Representatives? Yes. For some reason, I feel good about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so is the Velonews office now a marijuana factory? Or where is the... The old one. Can I the ask old the current one does clarifying not. question? The current, the sure. Where is... Where was the old office? 55th and Arapahoe, right yep. next to the Kawasaki dealership. I'm going to go with C. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> old old Velonews factory is totally a pot factory. They grow so much weed in there now. <laughs> Oh, man. I go by it sometimes, and I'm just like, oh, it smells like Otto's jacket. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is a final Fred-themed two truths and a lie. Wait, you just, you did one earlier. I know. I'm doing another one. You have another one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is the last one. Uh, Two truths and a lie. My parents made me take ballroom dancing lessons. (laughs) Ah, nerd. (laughs) I broke my collarbone playing lacrosse. I was my high school valedictorian. Ooh. Two truths, one lie. Fred mm. themed. I'm going to go with the collarbone. <laughs> oh, I was not my high school valedictorian. Oh. That's really I bad. have so much faith That's in really you. That's really kind of you, Sabra. That's kind of She's you. She's never met Fred before. <laughs> yeah. Do you, can you see that I'm a positive thinker? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and can you see that I know how to waltz, cha-cha, and do the tango? <laughs> <laughs> I Smart. can't, but I look forward to it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <sighs> Again, 
Well, Sabra, thank you so much for stopping by. Um, where can people learn more about your program? Uh, thanks for having me. You can learn more at littlebellas.com. All right, perfect. Well, we will let you get back to your interbiking. And everyone go check out this awesome program, Getting Young Gals on Bicycles. Oh, we're back. We're back on the Vela News podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer. We just uh, talked with Sabre Davis, and she had a lot of great stuff to say about little Bellas. And now we're joined by our next victim on the podcast today at Interbike. And it is none other than Jeff Kabush. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff. Hey, guys. There we go. There's there we your, go. Your proper, track. proper lap track. track. Welcome to the applause show, track. Jeff. You know, Jeff, I, I, when I think about all of the people that I've covered uh, professionally for cycling, you are one of the earliest ones because it was the first race I ever covered, uh, the Norba in Bernie, Texas, 2005. And um, you were there. You were on the Maxis team. And you had recently debuted the Diener character, which was a mulleted, beer-swilling alter ego. And I can't do it justice. What, what can you say about that period of the, of the Jeff Kabush brand and the Diener character? It's from the FUBAR movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people still do not forget it. I was at a farmer's market this year, and someone called me out of the blue Diener. But... <laughs> It must have been 2002, came out FUBAR, a good ironic mockumentary about some good Canadian characters from the uh, outskirts of Alberta, oil mm -hmm. country, that, you know, one of them, Dean, got not cancer and went through a tough period, and the mockumentary kind of covered this issue, and uh, I made a few appearances, no, most notably at 2004 Cyclocross Nationals. Right. And... Portland, but yeah, a few more, but yeah, people seem to get pretty attached to that character and still, I'm kind of, you know, still have it in my closet. You never know when Diener might come back out, but. It's sort of this like rural working class Canadian archetype. Uh, do you know, so are there some individuals in your life that fit that mold? Have you come across Diener-like types uh, uh, in your travels across your homeland? Oh, for sure. It hits, you know, for some Albertans, it hits pretty close to home. <laughs> I mean, watching it, some people don't know if it's, you know, real fiction yeah. or not, you know. But some good laughs. You really got to watch it a few times to get, get yeah, some Yeah, it's one of those jokes. where you, like, repeat the lines to your friends after you watch it once or twice. It's, it's, oh, yeah. 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 it's just like Canadian Big Lebowski or kind something of, like yeah, that. Kind of, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jeff, you know, over your career, you uh, went to the Olympic Games, you won World Cups, you won, won many, many national championships uh, in mountain biking and cyclocross. And then it was a few years ago, you know, I, I caught up with you and you talked about this new direction you were taking your mountain bike racing career away from the traditional World Cup type of cross country and bringing more, you know, different types of racing. And, I, and I'm curious where you are with racing right now. What are the types of events that you tend to do on an annual basis these days? Uh, it's all hashtag keep riding till the fun stops now. But no, I pursued, you know, those international goals for a lot of year. But, you know, I grew up in BC riding the trails and that's what I love. And it's been really fun the last couple of years to kind of pull away from the international stuff and do a lot of the fun races in, in North America 
you know, getting back to BC bike race this year was a lot of fun. You know, just a lot of the communities I haven't been able to ride in because I've been traveling all summer. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of cool events away from the international stuff and in the U.S. with the epic rides and um, Downeyville I'd never got a chance to do before. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fun not getting on those intercontinental flights and easier to, you know, still stay healthy and have fun. And, uh, you know, I've been really enjoying it. What, what's your take on how enduro racing fits in with sort of all the more traditional cross-country style or, 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 or long-distance uh, cross-country mountain bike racing these days? Uh, well, that's, you know, it's something that I've really watched over my career. It used to just be a couple of things, and now it's fractioned to so many different kind of disciplines you can do. And, you know, I love riding the trails and the Enduro World Series. It's impressive what, what they've done. And, I did a few, but it's, you know, it's really kind of gravity-oriented, and you have to be really committed. It's almost, you know, downhill racing on trail bikes, and I've really enjoyed kind of more of the, the blind enduro races. I've done Transfervance over in France a couple times, and going back to Transcascadia for the third time in Oregon, and it's just kind of takes that edge off, and I really enjoy kind of riding those trails blind. It's kind of like finding your flow and reading the trail, and it's it's a much more relaxed atmosphere, which I really enjoy. Nice. Yeah, what's the difference in prep that goes into getting ready for an enduro race versus like a World Cup cross country in terms of like the day before or the two days before the race? Like, how are you? Is there a difference in the way you're preparing for an event like that? Uh, I mean, I think that's what I love about the blind enduros. There is no uh, preparation. You just kind of show up, and no one knows where you're riding, so it's. It's really just about being, you know, comfortable on your bike and reacting to the situation. Uh, you know, the XE International World Cup, it's, you know, a lot of digital preparation and everything has to be fine-tuned. And as it went on in my career, the races got shorter and shorter. So, you know, everything had to be right even before the race, you know, the year leading up, getting your ranking for start position. And, uh, you know, it's... It can, it, can be really frustrating if one thing goes wrong so i enjoy i've really enjoyed more the trail and endurance racing where uh you know we can ease into it it's not as quite as pressure packed and uh it's been fun just good atmosphere and good people at all the events i've been doing now you know looking at back at your cross-country career when you rank your results or the best days you had on a bike what's uh what's at the top of the list uh for sure. I mean, winning, I won the Bromont World Cup in 2009, and I think just, uh, I mean, I struggled away at those races through my career for a lot of a lot of years, especially through kind of dark period in the sport with a lot of, you know, drugs and doping and uh, kind of, you know, do it the right way and finally have that one day where it all came together and stand on top of the podium, especially in Canada, was certainly a, a really, really special day for me. Yeah, I remember talking to you about that, you know, the early parts of your career. You know, you've been racing since the mid to late 90s and racing through this era where all of cycling, but even mountain biking, had problems with PEDs. And it was very obvious that some of the guys at the front of the race were, you know, just playing by different rules. And, you know, I'm really curious how you dealt with that as a racer. You've been very outspoken throughout your career about racing clean and, you know, wearing, flying the doper suck. Uh, brand and I, I'm curious how you, how you dealt with that during uh, during that era of your career. I think I mean a lot of it had to do with you know I think I'm internally motivated and it was always rewarding for me, challenging myself and always you know really enjoyed 
learning about the sport process of training and um, you know some guys I think that were motivated by ego and money he kind of took a different path and I think I was also you know lucky as you know did well enough I was able to kind of survive through that period and uh, you know it yeah I really wanted to be outspoken especially as uh, having some success to give that message to the kids that you know if you do make the right choices that you can still have success and not have all those that baggage in the closet and hold your head high and that's you know something I'm really proud of looking back at my career that there's there's no secrets and uh, you know I can I can be proud and really hold my head high and nothing to hide like a lot of the guys it's uh, you know they might have a lot of money in the bank but uh, not certainly welcome everywhere now these days Yep, I hear you. You know, you were also, uh, you were a multidiscipline athlete back then. I remember, you know, you would race cross in the fall. You did some road racing. And I remember talking to you about a race you did with um, the Symmetrics team. You guys went over and raced like the Tour of Cuba. And it sounded like the most bonkers bicycle race uh, stories I, I can remember. I'm curious what some of the stories you had from that experience racing the Tour of Cuba. Yeah, that was... Uh quite the Ironmer and uh, yeah one of the memories for sure experiences going to Cuba you know full communist area and full banana tour we did 14 stages and 14 oh my god that is a long stage in 13 days you know I got deathly ill day through day three and just suffered through it but there's basically 10 10 Cuban provinces and two national teams so it's pretty much we're racing against team of 72 and a couple other <laughs> sketchy teams and the, the hardest day I think was day nine we had a 30k time trial in the morning or suffered and Svein Tuft who was on Symmetrics took the leader's jersey so we had a two hour lunch break and then had a supposed to be about 140k stage it ended up being 160k and we just got attacked 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 by this sketchy Italian team and Svein held on. We finished at 7 p.m. at night in this town and then had a two-hour bus transfer. Ah. And that just kind of... But you got a two-hour lunch break out of it. Yeah. So, you know, in turn, that, that's kind of the communist way, you know, keeping, well, the I workers, think OSHA rules, keeping the workers comfortable. OSHA rules allow for that type of uh, employment setting. So, I don't know, Jeff. I think but, they were well yeah. within their right. <laughs> no, I that, that we, those two or three weeks was just a new level of mental suffering. I remember I just came out of that and just, you know felt like I could push deeper just because that that mental barrier. And you raced Cross Vegas last night as well here in Las Vegas. Last time um, at the Desert Sands. Yeah. Or I mean at the uh, last time at the Desert uh, Desert Breeze. Desert Desert Breeze. breeze. There was a lot of Desert Desert Breeze breeze last night too. (laughs) Yeah, it was windy. Windy as hell. And Jeff, uh, you know, we had Katarina Nash and Catherine Pendrell on the podcast yesterday. They were one too. And you're sixth place, so I know those you know, girls are tough kinda, to keep up with. Yeah, you know, they next, set the bar pretty Next high. time, Jeff, we're gonna have to we're gonna expect a little more out of you. Well, you know? I figure we should have had Jeff I on was, before uh, the I race. Was, I was top masters. Oh, <laughs> I like that. Top 40 I like plus. That's a good spin zone. <laughs> yeah, forty plus. You, you're over forty. Yeah. Wow. I like rubbing that into the kids. Going these strong. Days. <laughs> Still going strong. There's quite a few of us, you know. You know, us old guys, along with Todd Wells and Kyle Decker, we've had a few, you know, pretty packed Masters podiums this year. Good for you. Yeah. Well, that's what I like to see is the guys from your generation who obviously still love cycling are finding ways to reinvent themselves and stay relevant in the sport. And, you know, whether it's going and 
racing BC bike race and a number of the gravel races or uh, doing enduros. You know, it seems like mountain bike now, you can have almost like a choose your own adventure type career. Yeah, I mean, I think the guys like us are still doing, we just, you know, really love racing. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, got so much experience and success. It's, it's fun. There's a lot of cool events to do. I mean, I've been hanging out in California a lot in the summer with the Sierra Triple Crown events on the gravel and Downeyville and Grinduro coming up. So many different... Oh, I'm going to Grinduro. Yeah, so... Are you doing the Masters? Are you doing the Masters race? <laughs> no, I, oh, I think open, it. but... Oh, yeah, man. me and me and, me and Decker are tied up for the Triple Crown, so it's winner-take-all for the Sierra Triple Crown. Oh, man. So we're looking for teammates. Oh, really? Yeah. What's, uh... There's, like, a gravel You want to wet my beak a little? Yeah. Give me a little cut of the Uh prize money. Oh, payoff is going on right here. Hey, it's not USAC sanctioned, right? So I think it's kind of fair game if you want to get into the collusion stuff. (laughs) You going to bring out your e-cross bike? Oh, I should. That's a good idea. (laughs) Wasn't there some brands. Wait, wasn't there some, like, major controversy at one of those races last year because the winner skipped lunch break? Like, everyone else was, like, eating lunch. And there was, well, some, that lunch, was there was a lunch delay. Not the Cuban way. That, that would not be the Cuban no. way to do it. No, <laughs> got to have that lunch break. Well, that was a bit of me, uh, Decker, and Wicks, and Chris Jones. We all stopped too long for lunch and realized, by the time we got to the top of the last single track to send, there was a lot of traffic, and you know, it's, a lot of strategy goes into Grinduro. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. man, you're making me nervous. Shoot, you got to find friends for the time trial. You be my friend. Some friendlies for the high speed. Be, I, I don't we, know. We'll see Jeff, how. Jeff, will you be my friend? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. What? Oh, we can work out. <laughs> we'll we can see. work out something. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he's a real pro. You got to. Yeah. You got to admire that. Real I just love pro. that the new format, the hot new format of bicycle racing, could be won or lost dependent on if you're <laughs> eating a sandwich or not. It was like, oh, this rap man is so good. I had to stop and finish it, but. Uh, too many Cost PBRs. Too many PBRs. <laughs> passed out at lunch. <laughs> well, Jeff, we have some trivia questions for you. Right. Um, and the theme of the game that I came up with was Jeff Kabush trivia, which right. is to see how well you know um, you. Jeff Kabush. <laughs> and these trivia questions were pulled from the, the hard book of Velo News. Goes um, back. A lot of back in the day. A lot of back we in the day. We got our archivist to pull all of these out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Larry. <laughs> so this is the first question for you. Who said the following quote about Jeff Kabush? Jeff had never been to Interbike before. Heck, he'd never even been to Vegas. And suddenly he's surrounded by these eight-foot banners of himself. People are wanting his autograph. I think that's when it hit him that, yeah, he has a lot of fans and people actually do care about things he's doing in the sport. Who said that? Are you not giving him multiple choice? No, he just gets the one. <laughs> Whoa. Fred Dreyer? Nope. I was not Fred Dreyer. <laughs> Good guess. This uh, Eric Wallace. Eric Wallace. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, there, yeah, we, go. there yeah. we go. All right. Nice job. Nice job. Uh, and Eric Wallace. Former manager. Former manager. Team Maxis. And we all remember the Fred Dreyer, Jeff Kabush, Eric Wallace story of at Tapatia Springs. Eric Wallace jumped into the, like, the goofball um, short track race that was basically myself Eric and he was and he dressed up like Jeff and I was so new on the scene I didn't know who anybody was I actually thought it was Jeff Kabush <laughs> so he had the sideburns too he had and the sideburns pull it off yeah and we were racing around and I was like yeah I was racing this Kabush he's not that strong <laughs> okay but that was that was a long time ago alright second Jeff Kabush question this one's for Kaylee. 
This quote, what? Try to read your handwriting again. What race did this quote come from? Oh man! All right, I ran out of gas on the last ascent, and with yeah, this isn't gonna work, Fred. I ran out of gas on the last ascent, and with about a mile to go, I started losing my coordination, and my arms were flapping, (laughs) flapping around. I was looking for the finish line, but there's not much you can do in a situation like that. Well, I'm pretty sure you just gave away the answer. Wasn't that Tapatio Springs? <laughs> that was Tapatio Springs, Norba, <laughs> March 2005. Kabush was in the lead, and then the arms started flapping. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I was in the lead, but yeah, that was back, way back. Trent Lowe. Yeah, you were battling Adam Trent Lowe. Craig. Yeah. And that yeah. was the year, I believe, you ended up winning the Norba series for the first time, or maybe second time. 04? Was it 04? 05. Yeah, 04, I won it for the first time. Okay, so yeah. second year Norba Series champion. Yeah. All right, this is the final Do question. Do people know what Norba Series is? You might have to explain it to I them think now. there's some gray hairs around here. Then it went here. to the NSMB. <laughs> and, then <laughs> and then the Pro XCT. Back in Pro my XCT. day. <laughs> ah, those races were fun. Yeah. Tapatia Springs was a little weird. It was, was held on a days. golf course mm. uh, outside of San Antonio, and it rained. And it turned into a muddy quagmire, and all the golf greens got ruined. Really too bad. That was the last time they had a race there. Maybe. So, last question for you, Jeff. How did you describe your vertigo-inducing ear infection from 2006? I have three quotes. I, I, I think I remember. It's like being 10 beer drunk. And then it gradually got better. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you killed it. I was going to say one, like I, got, three. like I got socked by Mike Tyson. Oh. Two, I feel like I'm at a five beer drunk, but it could have been a terror bird bender. I like drunk. ten better. Or three. Yeah, the Diener would be ten beer drunk. You for know sure. that scene yeah. in yeah. Scanners? Yeah, five is just getting started, yeah. right? You, yeah. know, you know that scene in Scanners where the dude's head blows up like that? I could have seen you describing it like that, but it was the ten beer drunk. There we go. Yeah. That was three pretty three. upsetting. Like when it happened, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, tell us about that. What happened? Did a bug crawl in your ear or something? No, Ooh. I still Like in no uh, Wrath of Khan? Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember like a, it was actually at the Commonwealth Games. I had an awesome race kill the week before, and then Commonwealth Games, I couldn't have felt worse. And I was like pretty upset after the race, and then then the 10 beer drunk came on for a week and a half, and I had oh, no idea yeah. what was going on in my head. Doctors couldn't really tell me what was going on. So. But he was a very, very cheap date during that period of his Good life. Point. Good point. Only a couple beers Well, we're needed. glad you don't have any more ear infections right now. Hopefully you don't no. get one for the grinduro. It'd be a real shame. Yeah. yeah. Triple crown on the line. Yeah, it's on the line. <laughs> well, Jeff, we really appreciate you stopping by. It's always a pleasure to see you. We'll play you out with some applause. All right, thanks, guys. Okay, guys, we're back. We have another guest. It's Josh Tostado, longtime uh, 24-hour racer, ultra-endurance mountain bike racer, and a man who's been at it for a really long time. We were just talking before we turned on the pod here about some of the favorite races you've done over the years, Josh, and the big M got brought up, Montezuma's Revenge. (laughs) Tell the listeners who may not be as familiar with this race what it was. We're going back in time 10, 15 years. What was the Montezuma's Revenge? So, yeah, the, the Montezuma's Revenge was a 24-hour race, and it was in Montezuma, Colorado. Basically, uh, the, 
the base was at like 10,600 feet. We went up to over a 14er in the middle of the night with your bat with your bike strapped to your back. Um, you know, every loop was different. None of it was marked. Um, half the people might have been on some sort of drugs, <laughs> mind altering. Um, the psychedelic, not not the performance enhancing. Not, no, I don't think performance changing. I don't, I don't think that that would be considered performance enhancing. It depends on uh, whether the, the the visions lead you in the right direction yeah, on the yeah. course, or if they and make you, you might have thought that you were, the they were enhanced. But yeah, it was it was a crazy race, and it was actually my introduction to uh, mountain bike racing. Really? It, that was how I started. It was yeah. like, aren't all Jumping mountain bike races yeah. like uh, 24 hours I, where you hike up a big mountain in the middle yeah, of Yeah, well, it was, it was funny because I was a big, I was really into climbing and I broke my back ice climbing. I had a bad fall. Um, and so I was at Montezuma's Revenge the year before and I was in a back race and I was watching and I was like, this is what I is going to, you know, I'm motivated. I'm going to train and I'm going to do this thing next year, you know? So it was kind of like, yeah, I, I, I'm going to, I dig this. This is cool. So I trained and I did it the next year and I did pretty well. And I was like, you know, I, this is cool. I think I'll try and do this more. What I love about Montezuma's Revenge, you can actually watch old YouTube clips of it, yeah. of the broadcast <laughs> yeah. from like ESPN 7 yeah. online. Yeah. And they're always like, oh, siete. World, yes. you know, yes. world's hardest race. Yes. And they'll be describing some of the contestants as like, oh, he's an amazing athlete. Uh, yeah. He lays tile yeah. in Summit <laughs> exactly. County. And he works yes. as a bar back yeah. at Jim's Bar. But yeah. this is Dave Johnson. And here he is on an old... Gary Fisher. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was those guys. And then there was like the John Stamsteads, yep. the Rishi Gray Walls. I mean, there was it, but it was like, it was almost like, you know, the Summit County, the people there, it was like proving ground. If you did Montezuma Revenge, you were a badass. And that was, it was definitely a big, big race for the locals. And then, you know, a select group of, idiots that were stupid enough to sign up for it so um. and so that was your entry point to mountain biking but then also it had to have informed you about 24-hour racing because sure. we know you as the guy who wins all of these uh 24-hour races so was that just the next step for you or what yeah it was you know i that was the start of it and and after that you know i got into 100 mile races and and um you know, 12 hour races and, and lap 24 hour races. I mean, 24 hour racing has definitely been, um, my bread and butter. It's, it's what I'm good at. Um, and I'm stupid enough to keep doing it. So, um, multi-time winner, uh, 24 hours of Moab. How many, how yes. many years did you win that one? Uh, four, I believe, but they all kind of blend together. Yeah. I'd imagine um, so. Would, yeah. 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 That, and, and I've, you know, talk to a lot of people that are kind of missing that race because it was a great end of season um uh everybody gets together at a big bash at the end of the season i'm like i'm glad it's done because <laughs> i probably did about 70 or 80 laps on that course oh, and i think i'd never want to do another lap a lot of on that course sandy <laughs> rocky riding yeah, so seriously. that's um that's uh kind of leads into a question i was thinking of and it, it's pretty it was a real like fast decline for 24-hour race, mm. racing where it just it really was a hot hot thing mm. to do when you're a mountain biker in the late yeah. 1990s and then 
yep. in like the early early 2000s it just seemed like it, it evaporated what's your take on that why do you think it uh, was it, it vanished so quickly well, you know, back then there, there there just wasn't a lot of races, especially for ultra endurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's a hundred mile races everywhere. There's stage races. There's twelve hour races. There's just so much more um, racing to do that twenty four hour racing has kind of been put on the back burner. Um, and I feel like it's not d- dead because you look at old Pueblo and it's one of the biggest races in the country. It is, you know, down in Arizona. Right. And, and, you know, there still is 24 hour race. And I just feel like there's more competition to, for those people. And you do a 24 hour race a couple times and you get bored with it. You want to do something different. You know, you want to do, you want to ride different trails, um, in different areas. So I feel like that is, has a big, is a big reason why 24-hour racing seems like it made a big decline. And and I feel like in other parts of the world, 24-hour racing is huge. Like in Europe, England, it's gigantic. Really? It's enormous. Did not realize that. Yeah, and um, I just went and did 24-hour worlds in Italy, and it was like, it was a rave. I mean, it was insane. Um, so... It's, or were you just hallucinating that it was a rave because you were just so <laughs> knackered? Man, it was crazy. There was a section where you went through chicane, uh, like, bermed out corners, and they had a DJ with people dancing and disco balls and lights till 3 in the morning, and it was it was insane. <laughs> Sounds all right. A, a bunch of crazy Italians partying, so nice. it was cool. Nice. So what's your uh, – let's, let's get the lowdown here. What, what's your advice for staying up that long? Like, how do you uh, – how do you stay awake? Well, it, you know, people actually ask me that a lot. And when you're mountain biking, it's pretty easy to stay awake because if you don't, you're going to crash pretty True. quickly. True. Um, but, you know, you're eating sugar, you're eating caffeine. I, you really, you know, I've heard people say that about talking about hallucinations and wanting to curl up and fall asleep. I, I have never had that problem. I mean, maybe I'm just lucky or special but i would say that the sugar and the caffeine and all the stuff you're shoving into your into your mouth is going to keep you awake pretty well so so i did a 24-hour race one time yeah you were at it you won it this was the (laughs) um race at snow mountain ranch up in colorado yeah Yeah. and uh i showed up and i had i had been given a free entry and i was like hey i'll get a team together and people can go up there and race with me None of my friends wanted to do it. None of the Velenus people at the time wanted to do it, so I was like, I'll do it solo. Oh, so, nice. So, got on the bike, started pedaling, started at noon, yep. made it till 4 a.m., and oh, yeah. was pushing my bike up a hill because I was pretty toast by that point, yeah. and I sat down in a field. I couldn't get up. Oh. I was st- I sat in the field for two hours <laughs> because I just, I was too tired. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Sit in the field, can't get up? You know, I... No, luckily uh, it hasn't happened to that's me. That's probably why he wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I have uh I have quit a couple times in 24-hour races, but I've, you know, I've never stopped mid-course and and contemplated life before <laughs> and just fallen asleep. Um, but it, you know, you're going to have good races and bad races and and at four o'clock in the morning is kind of the witching hour. I, I feel like from three to six, till the sun comes up is kind of the time where you're gonna, that's when you're gonna feel pretty bad. So I wouldn't feel too bad. Okay. <laughs> so now, Josh, 
You have like the best nickname in all of mountain biking. <laughs> it's Toast. Toast. You're the yeah. Toast Man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The Tostado. Yes. So with all of our guests here at Interbike, we've been doing little quizzes with them, and it seemed only natural for us to quiz you with some uh, facts about Toast. <laughs> Toast-themed <laughs> questions. Yep. So Great. we got three Great. questions for you, and let's just dive into it. So question number one: Browning Toast is the result of what phenomenon? A, the Mallard reaction, B, exothermic reaction, <laughs> C, the Gibbs principle, or D, pasteurization. Ooh. Oh, I don't think it's pasteurization. Pretty sure that's not it. Um, what, what was B? I think it's B. I think B it's is the exothermic reaction? Yeah, I'm going to go with B. I'm sorry, Josh. It's ah. the Mallier, Mallard reaction. Wow. that's Yeah, it's like the caramelization uh, reaction. I had it on the Gibbs theorem or whatever the heck it was. Yeah, I made that one up. <laughs> yeah. Pasteurization was a gimme. Right. All right, number yeah. two. The word toast is, <laughs> is derived from this Latin word, which translates as to burn. A, bericquis. B, torere. C, lorem ipsum. D, tostitis. Ooh. Man, I, you know, I think it's, it, it could be an obvious one. It, it, so I'm going to, I'm just going to go with A. Oh, uh, no, I'm sorry. It's B, uh, torere. Losing big on this. Yeah, it's okay. You don't Jeez. need to know Latin to be a 24 hour racer. So <laughs> I, really, I know exactly. You don't exactly need to be zero. super smart. It's okay. And hey, we can all it's enjoy toast. One way or the other, we're going to enjoy it. All right, here's your chance of redemption, number three. Due to the browning process, toast may contain what? A, tannins, B, antioxidants, C, carcinogens, mm. or D, manna from heaven. See, I'm gonna, I'm, I got this one, carcinogens. You got it, that's right, that's right. Yeah. All right, nicely done, <laughs> nicely done. I thought it was manna from heaven because, you know, toast is good. Yeah, tasty. yeah, tasty. toast is good. Everybody loves toast. So what's up next for you, Josh? What's the next race? Um, you know, I'm pretty much done for the season. Uh, what's next is is what I like to call beer drinking season. Nice. Um, Love that season. Favorite yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I, I, I just actually had a race last weekend, uh, the Vapor Trail. Oh, yeah. Um, which I don't know if you're familiar with. It starts Colorado. at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Slide of Colorado. 120 um, miles, right? 125 miles, 20,000 feet of about 20,000 feet of climbing on some of the gnarliest trail around. Jeez. So um, that was, that's one of my favorite races. And it's, that's part of your drinking season. That is before drinking season. Okay, you good. definitely don't want to be in drinking season getting ready for that. <laughs> um, but now it's it's more of like, you know, a downtime, just go and ride my bike and not worry about being uber skinny and, um, you know, drink some beers, have yeah, you've really let yourself go. I yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to say anything, Josh, but... Uh, I'm looking a little fat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 124, you're one 24-hour race away from oh, race weight. Oh, God. <laughs> well, Josh, we will let you get back to beer drinking season, but yes. thanks so much for coming on the Velo News Podcast. The toast Thank with you. the most. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks. Bye. 
Uh, well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com and submit and ask a cat three there as well. Yeah. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on valenews.com. Subscribe to the Valenews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Velonews on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Velonews podcast is produced by Velonews, which is owned by the competitor group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Velonews podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing the Bernard Purdy classic Soul Drums. Oh, 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 o